Today we're going to be in John 8, starting at verse 12, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, So I'll get started with that. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They do not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because I have no room in, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in, my, in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself... My glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Amen. Thank you, Jen. Let's pray together as we get into the scriptures and look at what they mean. Father God, thank you for the word of God, which is God-breathed and inspired. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. So I pray this morning that your church would be edified by the Scriptures and looking deeply into the life of Jesus and how we come to know and identify with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so now, um, as the Scriptures have been read, I pray like seed they would have been sown into our hearts and produce good fruit. And Father, now as we look to see what these things might mean for us and what it meant in this day I pray our minds would be sharp and clear, that Jesus, you would get the glory and the honor, and that we would be edified and brought closer to you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen, amen, amen. Quite the piece of text we have before us. John chapter 8 is we're in our John series. Uh, We've been in it for the last several months now, and I look forward to continuing through John's gospel. Um, John chapter 8 brings up an identity crisis. Have has anybody ever seen a midlife crisis? I mean, watched it. You can watch them on social media if you don't know that. There are a lot of people that will basically market their midlife crisis, which usually includes a new vehicle, maybe a Harley Davidson, some Botox injections, maybe running off with the younger man or younger woman. Um, you know, a lot of excessive time at the gym, and all of that is posted for you on social media, where you can find who in your uh, friend group is going through a midlife crisis. Um, One author uh, I read described a midlife crisis uh, this way, midlife crisis begins sometime in your 40s, which I turned 40, and so I'm really 
asking people to keep me in check in case they see the signs of midlife crisis. But midlife crisis begins sometimes in your 40s when you look at your life and you think, is this all? And it ends about 10 years later when you look at your life again and think, actually, this is pretty good. Uh, I read a Christian leader, a guy by the name of Paul Tripp, pastor and leader. He wrote a book called Lost in the Middle, Midlife in the Grace of God. So for those of us in our 40s and 50s, uh, we might need a book like this in our library. But he writes this about midlife crisis. The disorientation of midlife is the result of the collision of a powerful personal awareness and a powerful personal interpretation. Suddenly we see things about ourselves that have been developing for years but went unnoticed. But an identity crisis, uh, I think you're aware, isn't reserved for just people in their 40s and 50s. Um, It's a time in life when if, uh, during adolescence or any time in your 20s, where you begin to question your purpose, your identity, your direction. Am I going in the right right direction? Who am I? Where do I fit in the world? Um, I read one article that talked about uh, us being able to identify if we are living in the signs of a lost identity. There are so many people that have a lost sense of themselves, a lost sense of their soul and don't know who they are and where they fit. Um, this article put out seven signs that you lack a sense of identity. The first one is you change with your environment. That is, you squeeze your personality in whatever form it needs to be in in order to fit in with the people that you're around. The other is you're willing to lose yourself to have a relationship. You met someone like this, they feel so empty without a relationship, they're willing to do whatever in order to stay and be in that relationship with their romantic partner. Uh, Third sign is you often have radical shifts in your opinion. That is, you can't make up your mind. uh, You have a tough time making a decision. Fourthly, you don't like being asked about yourself. You get uncomfortable when people start asking too many questions and want to know about you. Fifth, you get bored easily. I'm guilty of this one, and I'm asking God, am I in the middle of a crisis? Uh, a lack of identity is often, though, accompanied by restlessness, afraid to commit to something for fear it may be wrong, the wrong thing, and you could get stuck. Sixth sign that you might have a lost sense of identity is your relationships don't run deep. In order to protect yourself from rejection, you keep relationships on a surface level for fear that people would see the real you and not like what they see. And then seventh, and finally, another sign that you might lack your sense of identity is deep down, you don't trust yourself. If you're not sure who you are, you'll assume that any mistakes you've made in the past prove that you can't trust your ability to make decisions. But here's what I know about the gospel in light of this concept that we all will deal with, if you haven't already, of not knowing who you are, not being firm in who you are, wondering about your purpose and identity and function in society and in the world at large, the, the good news is the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he has done, exclaims to us this, you can know who you are when you first come to know who Jesus is. And in John chapter 8, I don't know if you picked up on this while Jen was reading, but John chapter 8 is an identity crisis. John chapter 8 is Jesus declaring who he is, and then the religious Jews declaring who they they think he is. So Jesus comes and says, this is who I am. The religious community says, no, this is who we think you are. Then Jesus turns around and says, this is who you could be 
if you were with me. And this is who you are without me. So Jesus is shaping and forming identity, declaring himself and then declaring those around him based on their reaction to him, who they are. Now, if you would, John chapter 8, really, the discussion this morning helps us with two things, answering two basic questions that need to be answered by every person in the building. The two questions, the two most important questions to life are, number one, who is Jesus? And number two, who am I? But you have to answer the who is Jesus question first. And Jesus steps on the scene and declares in verse 12, again, look look down at your Bible, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the church said, talk back to me, y'all. Say amen in church. Good stuff comes, you say amen to it. Give me a come on, bishop, swing your hand, do a deacon hum, or something. But yeah, when goodness comes, we say amen. We're that church that talks back to the preacher if he's preaching good. All right, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the light of the world, and he that believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when Jesus spoke this, remember, John chapter 8 has a context. Every text has a context. The verses that were before it and after it and the historical setting. The historical setting in John chapter 8, does anybody remember what time it was? It was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles lasted about seven or eight days, about a week in totality. And there's a little bit of information about the Feast of Tabernacles that if you do a little bit of reading, uh, some scholars say that during the seven or eight days of Tabernacles, Every evening, uh, as part of the ceremony, there was this uh, ceremony called the illumination of the temple. And so what's happening for seven days, seven or eight days, is that the Jews are living outside. Essentially, it's like a family camping trip. And maybe in their backyard, or they go to Jerusalem, and they build these stick lean-tos, these little like Boy Scout lean-tos, and they, they basically live in them for about a week, and these lean-tos were built in such a way that you could sort of pull like a string or poke a stick up, and it would, it would give you a view of the nighttime sky. So as the children and all their kids were laying there in this lean-to the family had built on this family camping trip celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, they would then, as they were laying on their backs looking at the stars, they would recount the stories of old to their children. They began to tell them about the Exodus because tabernacles is a time of commemorating how God saw Israel through those 40 years in the wilderness. So the parents would take their kids camping. They would be in nature. They'd be off their stinking iPhones. They'd be away from Netflix and Instagram and Snapchat and all that garbage. And they'd be like, let's just look at the stars here. And they'd begin to tell the old, old stories. But we're told that... Every night during those seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was this feast called the Illumination of the Temple. And each night, the giant candelabras were lit. So these candelabras were just huge, and they gave off lots of light. So just imagine the temple courts at nighttime, starry night during the Feast of Tabernacles. The families have been feasting and celebrating and camping and telling the good stories. And every night in the, in the temple court, these huge candelabras would be lit. And the light was so bright from these candelabras, it shone into the city of Jerusalem. 
And so from the city of Jerusalem, looking at the temple and the temple mount, you could see the illumination that was coming into the city. And every night there was a festal dance. So the people would get together and dance. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying a couple of things. He's not just saying, I'm light in darkness, but I'm joy over sadness. Because when Jesus says, I'm light of the world, it was connection to this illumination of the temple festal dance that happened every night. So Jesus isn't just saying, I'm light for you when it's dark, but I'm joy for you when it's sad. So, so the, closest we, the closer we get to heaven, the closer we get to Jesus, we start to recognize that joy is essential to following Jesus. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm light. He's saying, I'm the joy bringer. I'm the dance party. Jesus says, I am your dance party. I am your festal celebration. I am the light in the candelabra. I light up darkness and I bring joy where there is sadness. Come on. I told you to say amen sometimes. That's an amen point. We're going to cue the amens. Yeah, put it up on the screen. That's the time we say amen. Jesus, the joy bringer. And the closer we get to following Jesus, the more we follow Jesus, we begin to recognize that joy is so important to Christianity. I read this um, from C.S. Lewis in his writings called Letters to Malcolm. Listen to this. Follow it if you can from a smart Brit from a generation ago. But C.S. Lewis writes this. It is, our only, it is only our hours off, only in our moments of permitted festivity that we find an analogy. So he's talking about the times when you're off work and you're having a good time. You like those times? I do. So those times, he says, dance and games are typically considered frivolous, unimportant down, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. Here they are moments rest from the life we were placed here to live. But in this world, everything, I love this, is upside down. That which, if could be prolonged here, would be a truancy or what we would be considered irresponsible for. For it is most like that which is in a better country, which is the end of ends. Now listen to this. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And I love that. Lewis is basically saying the time that you spend at the lake laughing with your family... Or if you're like what we did yesterday, my mom and her husband Rich have come to visit, so you need to greet them, make them feel some southern hospitality, have them over for some grits, and uh, pray for them because they'll be with our four kids while my wife and I get to go on a pastor's gathering in Alberta, Canada, of all places, for the week. Um, but so um, you need to try this. This will bring festal joy to you. We went out yesterday. Um, sorry for the environmental professors. You guys might be offended about what I'm about to say, but we cleaned up after ourselves. Just to say that, uh, uh, we, uh, <laughs> there's this thing you can do, though, and it, 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 it brought a lot of joy to my boys. Um, you take the li these little, the little bottles of Sprite or Coke or whatever and stuff them full of dried ice. You guys know about this? And that, <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> we cleaned up after ourselves. Pour a little bit of water, screw that cap down, and then huck that thing and bob. Boom! And we did this like 18 times, and we were trying all kinds of different places, just blowing dirt up, throwing it in water. You know, when boys and explosions, uh, I, I was a boy at that moment, giggling, happy, joyful. We put this, the, the, the final one, we're like, we have to do something. We threw it in water, threw it in dirt, threw it on grass, made these loud noises. It was just so good. And then final, we put it in this wooden box, so I think it was a bird box at one time. No birds in there this time, though. No, no animals were damaged in this experiment. Um, <laughs> 
We put it in this bird box and then we shut it and we all back up. We've got it on video. We should have showed it this morning. Um, and you can just hear this thing going, filling up, building up the pressure, and then boom, and it blew the wood off the front of this thing. Michael, we need to do this at men's night. That is what we're going to do. We're going to figure out all kinds of ways to just do. And, uh, you know, as we were doing that, it was time off. My mom's here. Her husband Rich is here. It was really good. And I thought, man, I think heaven is a lot more like that. I just, I think heaven is the dance party. I think heaven is the joy. And, and as C.S. Lewis put it, joy is the serious business of heaven. Right down here, everything is upside down. We're happy when we live for the weekend. Because that's the time you get to go to the lake and you get to have fun and you get to be off and you get to dance around. But basically Lewis is saying in heaven it's all joy. And when Jesus is standing there saying, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, I'm your joy. I'm not just your light in, in, in order to illuminate dark places, but I am your joy and sadness. That is what Jesus is. That's who Jesus is, y'all. Church isn't a boring place for somber, boring people. Church is a dance party, yo. I vote for more dance parties at Emmaus. I suggest that we just get, look, get good at partying. And, you know, people say, man, your church just celebrates too much. I'll be like, I'm quoting a, a smart Brit. Joy is the serious business of heaven, and Jesus is the light giver, the joy bringer. I got the Bible. What you got, right? <laughs> uh, the Jews knew how to get down. And so Jesus is there telling throughout the, the, the passage, telling the Pharisees, who he is. I'm the light of the world. You that follow me won't want to, you won't walk in darkness. You don't have to be sad. You have the light of life in you. You have a bubbling joy. You know, an unjoyful Christian is a terrible witness. Terrible witness. If there is one thing that it says about Jesus, one of the autobiographical statements it says about Jesus, it says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness. You never met a gladder man. You, ne you never met someone who was about such serious business with so much joy. He was saving the world, and he was full of joy. Going to a cross and full of joy. Taking on sin and full of joy. He was light. He is joy. He is our Savior. He is the, the life bringer to all of us. And he says several things about himself autobiographically in John chapter 8 that I hope you noticed, but I'm going to point them out if you didn't. Verse 12, notice Jesus said to this group of religious Jews and to the crowd, I'm the light of the world. Verse 14, he said, I love this statement. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Verse 19, he said, I'm the key to knowing the Father. He said, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Verse 29, he said, I am with the Father and I am sent by the Father. Notice, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Jesus called himself the Son of Man, which was messianic, messianic terminology. Verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. Jesus said, I am, just that word, I am the eternal one. Verse 58, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus in John chapter 8 gives all kinds of identity statements. This is who I am. You need to know who Jesus is. Not, not what everybody told you, but who he said he was. Jesus says, I am. He says, I am a light. I am the son of man. I'm, I'm the one who brings life. I know the Father. I'm the key to knowing the Father. But then the Jewish religious leaders had a contrary 
interpretation of who Jesus was. And you're going to hear all kinds of mixed opinions about who Jesus is in this world. The religious leaders said that Jesus was, they considered him a heretic and a blasphemer. Verse 40 and verse 59. Notice they were trying to kill him for blasphemy because he said, I am. Notice notice again verse 58. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. When Jesus was saying, I am, he was saying, I am the Exodus 3 burning bush encounter that Moses had with God, where Moses said, I'm going to Pharaoh, so what am I going to tell Pharaoh your name is? And God says, I am that I am. The ego a me in Greek, it's the way God says, I am, I exist. And Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. Ego a me. They knew what he was saying. He was saying, I am God. And they reached down, picked up some rocks ready to kill him because they thought he was a heretic and a blasphemer. But notice verse 48. This is intense. Verse 48 and 52, they called him a demon-possessed Samaritan. They picked the two worst entities they could think of. This is like first century trash talk. This was like the roast of roasts. You are a demon-possessed Samaritan. Burn. Because Samaritans were a hated people group. And they said, you're a Samaritan and you have a devil. Two of the worst things we could imagine calling anybody. So the religious community had this terrible view, this this backwards view, this twisted view of who Jesus was. And the most important truth here is that we be men and women who don't get it wrong about Jesus. Because when you get it wrong about Jesus, you're going to get it wrong about yourself. The key to knowing your true self is knowing and receiving Jesus as he is. The importance of knowing Jesus cannot be overstated. We are a Jesus church. We are a Christian people. We are followers of the way. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. It cannot be overly emphasized in church every single Sunday that we re-emphasize to ourselves and to one another, this is who Jesus is. I mean, if I have one job every Sunday morning, it's just to come up here and go, look at Jesus. Jesus. And then look at how, when you see him, you see yourself. This is Jesus. This is you. This is you in light of Jesus. That is our job in preaching the gospel. To one another, preaching the the gospel every Sunday morning is just to hold Jesus up high. Because the key to life is getting it right about Jesus, then you'll understand where you fit. It's kind of like the analogy I would use is it's like the way the ancient sailors, the Phoenicians and the Vikings, when they were sailing the seven seas before the the compass had been developed, the way that they could get around and sail the world seas is one way. They They had to be able to identify the North Star. If they could find true north, and the the, the North Star is the most true north there is. It's right above the North Pole. And so in the, in the day before advanced technology encompasses, they could sail around the world because they found the true north. Once they found the north star, they could then figure out every direction from there. You know, like a modern compass, I think it's got something like eight directions or eight, eight, eight different ways that it points, north, northeast, you know, east, west, you know, all eight directions. The most important function, though, of a compass is that it points true north. If... The compass doesn't point true north, then it's worthless because then it will be off in every other direction. And for so many of our lives, it's finding the north star, it's finding Jesus that that, that makes everything in life make sense. 
Because, you know, it is possible that you could have everything in life, so to speak, looking really dialed in. You could be pointing every direction. It looks like you have a great marriage. It looks like you've got a really nice house and you found a great job. And man, the car that you drive and the, the hobbies that you have. And, and it looks like all the things, check, check, check. You're healthy. Your marriage is good. You have a house. But there are so many people that checked all those boxes, but they feel lost to who they are. Much like Solomon, who had basically found every direction in life, but he did not have his compass set on true north, and therefore he was lost to everything. He writes in his sort of reflection about his life in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, saying this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. He had so much money, so much fame, so much access, he literally could get anything he wanted. I refused my heart no pleasure. Wanted to eat it, I ate it. If I wanted to sleep with her, I slept with her. If I wanted to party that way, I partied that way. If I wanted to drink it, I drank it. If I wanted to have that party, I had that party. I threw the biggest parties. My heart took delight in all my labor. This was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless and chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." That is a life without a true north. And most people live their lives thinking, if I got X in my career, if I got this, if I got her, if I got him, if I got this, if I got that, then I would hit true north and nothing could be further from the truth. Solomon said, hey, I've been on top of every hill. The sex hill, the fame hill, the riches hill, the the wisdom hill, the philosophy hill, the big party hill. I've been on top of all those hills and I went there without a true north and I'm telling you there is no life here. But no one wants to listen to Solomon. He's shouting down from every existential pleasure, don't climb this mountain without Jesus because there's nothing here. You'll be devastated. You'll say as Solomon did, it's all meaningless when I survey my life. You're chasing after vanity if you're chasing anything without Jesus as center, without Jesus as true north, without your compass pointed to him. I don't know if you saw or listened to the interview that Jim Carrey did at the New York Fashion Week in September of last year, Um, but he totally goes existential, Hollywood-eccentric, identity crisis guru. I mean, just super weird. I mean, Carrey's weird anyway, but he gets really weird at this. You should watch the interview. Um, but the interviewer, Kat Sadler, when she finally got him to stop walking circles around her, as she's trying to interview him, she asks him just simply about you know, being at the event, the New York fashion event. And he, this was his reply. There's no meaning to any of this. Sounds like Solomon. So I wanted to find the most meaningless thing I could do and come and join, and here I am. <laughs> That's how he felt about his presence at the New York Fashion Week. Most of you guys would be pinching yourself and taking selfies. He's gone, this means nothing. So he later then starts waxing philosophical and he gives his identity statement. This is what Jim Carrey thinks about life. I believe we're a field of energy dancing for itself and I don't care. So then this is how he puts the clutch in and ends the interview. It's not our world. We don't matter. We don't matter. That's the good news. So this is the conclusion of a man who has no true north. We are are a field of energy dancing for ourselves. It's all meaningless. This is not our world, and it doesn't matter. And that's the good news. Like, if that's the good news, I'm out. 
really? That's the best you got? But I'm telling you, that is essentially, he is our modern equivalent. And many other stars and wealthy and famous are saying essentially the same thing. It's a repackaged book of Ecclesiastes. They are telling us that without Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. Because I'm telling you, Jesus had nothing in this world. The Bible, they said, he was not comely to look upon. He didn't have his looks. When he invited people to follow him, he said, birds have nests, foxes have den. The son of man has no place to lay his head. He was hated. He was controversial. He lived an aesthetic life. He was, he was not in the who's who. He was, yet he was the happiest man who ever, the most joy-filled man who ever lived. And he said, if you got me, you got it. You can live in a little shanty on the edge of town. You can, you can have nothing in your bank account. And if you've got Jesus, you will have life and the rich will wonder. Those who have much and it's come to little, who are struggling with their identity, who think they're a field of nothing, dancing in a field, who think it's all meaningless, it's, it's the man or the woman who says, you can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And I, I tell you, it's truer and truer the longer you live, the more you watch people to just go, Jesus has got to be true north. And if you don't have your true north, nothing you are pursuing will ever, ever do it. You'll keep pouring more and more into a colander with holes everywhere. And you just pour it in and it pours out, pour it in and it pours out. You can't get enough of anything that your heart desires. You can't get no satisfaction. Until you find Jesus and he plugs all the holes and he, he comes around your life and he says, in me, no matter what happens, you have life in that abundantly. No matter what happens, you have me, the light of the world, where there is darkness, where there is sadness, I'll be your joy giver, I'll be your festal dance party. That's what I'm talking about. Give me Jesus. I need to know Jesus so that I can know who I am. So Jesus tells this group of religious leaders who he is and then the second and important part of this is then answering the question, who am I? If I know who Jesus is, then who am I? And Jesus tells them, if you have me, this is who you can be. And this is just John 8. I could quote all kinds of scriptures that give you identity. Anybody here going through an identity crisis, I got some verses for you to tell you who you are when you find Jesus, when you're found in Jesus. But just in John 8, notice the things that Jesus says that those who have him are. If you have Jesus, you are walking in light. Verse 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are children of the Father, verse 19, 34, and 35. You are disciples set free by the truth, verse 31 and 32 and verse 36. Let me just read that. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, you disciples set free by the truth. If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know truth. And that truth will do what? What will truth do? Make you free. Free from lostness, free from bondage to anything. Free in Jesus. Just being, just in that word free just sound amazing. You want someone to describe you as anything, just like, man, that guy's free. That lady is free. Free to love, free from materialism, free from an identity crisis, free from trying to prove themselves, free from all of that stuff. Free from the Jim Carrey lostness. Free from the Solomon Ecclesiastes. I got everything I wanted and I ended up empty anyway. Just free. Following the truth, following Jesus, end up free. And then the clincher, 
we become victorious over death. Look at verse 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. That doesn't mean that you're not going to die. It means that you won't really die. That is, you will live on. See, from here, Jesus is with me. I, I follow and hold on to Jesus. After this is a festal dance party forever. I mean, when we get into heaven, I mean, we got scriptures in Isaiah that says the table will be set. Jesus will be Zephaniah singing over us. So like Bono, good, but not good enough. Jesus is going to be singing over me. Imagine dragons, great, but nah, this is Jesus says it up on the mic, singing over me, Zephaniah chapter 2, and there is wine and meat at the table, and all the living and dead are there, and it is time to get your festal celebration on forever, because heaven is the serious, joy is the serious business of heaven. The life here ought to be uh, uh, reflections of heaven. Dance now, because you're going to dance forever. Laugh now, because you're going to laugh forever. Be joyful now, even in the worst circumstances, because in Jesus, he beat death. Death has no more sting. We have a life in Jesus, and in him, we walk in like we're children of Father, disciples set free by truth and victorious over death. That is a good identity, y'all. I don't care what you do for a living or how much money you got. If you can say this about yourself, I'm like, you win. You, you are a part of the festal dance party crew. So I finished with this, though, this morning. The religious Jews didn't know and receive who Jesus was. Therefore, they could not be who they were intended to be. And, and we have to talk about the opposite. If knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and receiving him as he is means we get light and be children of Father and disciples set be free by truth, victorious over death, what is it to not be in Jesus? Well, Jesus said, this is who you are without me. If you want to know the darker side, of rejecting who Jesus is and, and, and trying to live your life without your true north. Jesus says these things, not me. He says we're dead in sin. Verse 21 and verse 24. But look at verse 24. I told you that you, sh you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will indeed die in your sins. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a very interesting book called The Great Divorce. One of the things that the great divorce talks about that I found very interesting about the eternal separation from God, the way he talks about eternity apart from God, is he talks about the thing that is in your life right now that you don't like about yourself. Maybe you have a temper. Maybe you're ungrateful. But he talked about that, that um, bad attribute about you that you don't like about yourself, your negativity, your lack of optimism. He said that can be checked while on the earth. But given a span of eternity with no checks in, all you become is a murmur. All you become is just one grouchy, angry, cantankerous person forever. And he talked about the reverberation of eternity over eternity and becoming more and more. So Jesus calls it dead in sin, verse 24. He says, without Jesus, we are from below. Verse 23, he said, you are from below. I'm from above. You're of this world I'm not of this world. He says that without him, we're slaves to sin. Verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The opposite of free. Becoming a slave to doing those things which looked like pleasure when you started, but ended up slavery and bondage. And we be, Jesus says, perhaps the most chastising of them all, without him, you are children of the devil. 
Verse 41, 44, and 47. Look at verse 44, though. Just so you go, Brian, are you just being a mean old preacher? No, I'm not. I'm reading the Bible. I promise you the Bible says this. You belong to your father, speaking of these religious Jews, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Not knowing who Jesus is has a serious effect on our own identity. Some the most serious and important endeavor of any lifetime is to say, if you're on any quest, make your quest start this way. You're not looking for yourself. You're looking for Christ first. When you find Christ, then you find who you are in Him. And when you find who you are in Christ, you will then discover your true self. I mean, so many people are looking for their true selves. They're taking every personality test out there. We're chasing after knowing ourselves. Stop for a second, though. Let's just go back to, first of all, who is Jesus? And what does He say when you're in Him? That's what I want to know first off. And I would suggest that there are two types of people here this morning that are going through a variety of identity crisis, just wondering who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, if the, the track you've been on all these years is even the way you're supposed to be going with your life, what's your purpose and what's the point of your life? I, I believe there's two types of people. There are those who literally just, you just don't know Jesus. You, don't, you haven't received him. You haven't accepted who he is. And he is not in your life. You've, like the religious Jews, you've rejected Jesus or you've just ignored him. There's that group and you are in... Whether you know it or not, you are in the middle of an identity crisis. That's not be, me being mean. That's me saying, that's what the Bible says. Without Jesus in the center, without Jesus as true north, we're lost, y'all. Even if it looks like we got it all together. The other group are people, men and women, who have been following Jesus, but as of late, something else has caught your affections. And you've tried to find life in something other than true north. And you try to find identity outside of Christ and you are in a space where I know Jesus, I know I said yes to him, but I have since chased other lovers, I have since chased other pursuits, and, and now I'm, I'm really confused, because you know how easy it is for a Christian to get confused? We get confused so easy. There are so many weird things getting thrown at us in the media, and the stuff we listen to, and the songs, and the, the music, and the movies. There's a worldview being pumped in, and we come to church, and we go, I get it. We eat and drink communion, and we sing a worship song, your presence, Lord. And then, literally moments later, we can get lost, but start chasing that identity. Start chasing that thing that everyone you work with, everyone that you know in the neighborhood, everyone at school, with, if you chase what they're chasing, and you know Jesus, you'll get lost. So this morning is a call back to your true identity. This morning is a call back to following Jesus, to knowing Jesus so that you can know yourself. Every parent of a child here, our first and highest task is to do all that we can to introduce our children to the person of Jesus. Read them the Bible. Talk to them about Jesus. If you have older kids, the conversations get more intellectual. When you have little kids, but, but just from day one, as early as possible, you begin to just share with your kids who Jesus is. That Jesus would form their identity. Because I promise you, we all know this, every single one of us has had some strong forces pulling for our identity. Conform, conform, be this, be that. 
And it's crazy making and people get lost. Grown-ups who've been in church their whole life get off true north. They get lost somewhere and they forget who Jesus is and they're lost at sea because they have forgotten true north. And the Bible says, as we affirm who Jesus is, that we find our place again. So here's what I'm going to ask of us this morning. We uh, at Emmaus, we like to eat and drink communion every week. We have to say something about communion sometimes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Paul said about the Lord's Supper, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink the bread and the cup. The examination that I'm asking for us to do is to simply just say, I... I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis. I, maybe you feel lost. I've heard people say that to me before. People that you would not expect, people that when you looked at their life on the surface, you're like, bro, like, I wish I had half of the life you have. They're like, I'm lost. I lost Jesus. I got lost from Jesus. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's up, what's down. I don't know what my purpose is. I've lost my identity. And if you're, if, if any way, shape, or form, this is resonating with you in this time in your life, you need to be gut level honest and before you go and eat and drink, examine yourself. Because when you go and eat and drink, what you're saying is, Jesus, I am embracing and receiving who you are and therefore I find myself. And so we're going we're gonna to have some men and women available to pray over you. I just need, this needs to be a time of confession and prayer. And the men, on the women, men and women on the wall who are going to be praying for you aren't going to counsel you. So men and women on the wall, don't counsel. We are just going to reaffirm through prayer who Jesus is over your life. That is our main goal, just to hear you out and say, man, I, all you have to say is go up there, I just feel lost. And then we'll just, we just are going to pray over you. Just say, Jesus, be center, be life, be light, be joy bringer. So I believe the Holy Spirit is asking you, every single one of you, to do one of two things. Either he's saying, you are in an identity crisis and you need to reaffirm yourself in Christ. So you need to get someone to pray for you. And, and we're going to have men and women available to pray. Or the Lord is saying, come to the table. I believe we're all intended to end up at the table with the bread and the cup. But if you can honestly say, examining myself right now before I eat and drink... I know I need to get recentered. I want to eat and drink of Jesus in a sincere way. And maybe you literally have been at Emmaus for a couple of years and have never humbled yourself to say, listen, I just need some prayer. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, then today I would encourage you, find a brother, find a sister. Let's be men and women right here on the wall. They're to pray for you. We're just going to lay hands, nothing crazy, nothing weird. We're just going to pray God's revelation of himself over your life. Because recentering yourself in who you are starts with recentering yourself in who Jesus is. Amen. So we're gonna play, we're gonna play a little bit more music than normal, and one of two options. Either you get up and go to the prayer wall, have someone pray for you, and then you grab the bread and the cup, or you say, you know, listen, that was great, Brian. Thank you. But I it just reaffirms how important my identity in Jesus is. But I, I think I'm I'm centered. And you grab the cup and the bread, worship with us, and then Eric and Shannon Newby are going to just lead us in communion. Um, but we're going to sing for a little bit longer to give people a chance to get recentered in Jesus. So if, if, if the prayer wall peeps, could start heading over that way, that would be awesome. And, uh, and then I'm going to invite you to make that decision while we sing.
Um, am I supposed to, God, be go, going to the prayer wall to get prayer first? Or, or, or is it time for me to just get the bread and the cup and sing together? So um, I, do, I do think that there are some of you who need to just be obedient and just say, you know what, it's not, a, it's not, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but I need to confess my lostness and I, I need to receive prayer because it matters. It does something for us. Amen? So I invite you to either receive prayer or to go and, and, and get the bread and the cup. And then after a couple of songs, we're going to eat and drink together.